0: Well, good morning, church. It's good to see your eyes, your faces. <laughs> so I know it's, it's hard. I, I, I feel like I can't breathe in these things either, so I'm right there with you. Uh, but the church is essential. You know, despite what the government might say or anybody else might say, the church is absolutely essential. It's mandated by God to meet. It says in Hebrews 10:25 don't neglect meeting with one another. Why? Because we need to spur one another on in good deeds. We we need to encourage each other. It is powerful. But in the habit of some some will just not meet. And you know for throughout history it has been the plan of the enemy to isolate his people from one another. It has always been the plan of the enemy to do that. Isolation is his tactic. It's his the way he wants to isolate us and then ultimately kill, steal, and destroy, as it says in John 10.10. He that's what he does. But Jesus, he said in that same verse, he came to give life and life abundantly. And it says that we that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. That's why we have to meet. There's life. There's life in the word, there's life in the people, and in, in life in the encouragement, in the body, we need it. I know it's stuffy, I know it's hot. I'm not sure, I mean, there's lots of different things uh, that we can complain about, but I'm just, I'm absolutely thankful for the timing of the Lord to open up this place. It is the timing of God. I mean, he gave us this place just at the right, the nick of time, and that's just how he works, right? And that should show us, church, that he loves us, he cares about us. He loves this church. He loves you. He, lo- he wants us to meet. He's saying, hey, I want, I, I want a people who desire to meet. Oh, I'll find them a place. Isn't that true? When we have faith and we believe him, when we seek first his kingdom, everything else will be added on. He's like, I got it. I got the place and I, I got the bill. And that's just what he does. He's so good. He always will provide. And we're going through right now the book of Acts, It's a powerful book uh, that describes literally, a lot of people have different names for this book, the the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, through the Apostles. Uh, I've heard it said, the Acts of Jesus, the continuing Acts of Jesus. I mean, it doesn't matter what the name is. It's just, it's the the continuation of the power of God and through his people, called the church, to reach all nations, all people, all the four corners of the earth. And so last week, what we did was we talked about uh, how to actually complete that task. So we looked at uh, Acts 1 through 11, 1, 1 through 11, and we talked about four different things that, to understand, that we as a people, our, the, the disciples, we need to understand this message. We have to be clear on the gospel. We've, in order to actually reach the four corners of the earth, we actually have to be clear about the gospel message. Number two is that we would be confident in this message. And how do we find confidence? We found it, it that the fact that Jesus did, in fact, rise from the dead and he appeared in front of many, in fact, 500 people, the word says, and he literally showed his hands and feet, the scars, just as Tyler was praying today. He, that was real. The resurrection was real. And then he ascended to heaven. He said, wait, because you're gonna receive power. The third thing is they needed to receive power. They could not go out on their own strength. And number four, they needed motivation. To complete the work that Jesus was in fact coming back the same place he left the mountain of olives and he's coming back on that exact same place when he comes back to grab his church us his people and so that was the motivation that he's coming back he will judge all sin he'll make all things right and I want to be ready I want to hear well done my good and faithful servant that's true. We all want to hear that. And there's a way as we go through the book of Acts, it's going to lay out very clear how we can actually live a life like that. And so God in the history of, of the church, he's always wanted to use his people. He always wanted to use his people to change the world. You and me, regular everyday people to change the world. And John fifteen sixteen says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. It says in Luke six twelve to 16, it is th- at this time that he went off the mountain to pray and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And When the day came, he called his disciples to him and chose the 12 of them whom he, whom he appointed or named as apostles. Simon, which is also named Peter, Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon, who is called a zealot, Judas, the son of James and Judas Iscariot, it became the traitor. First Corinthians twelve twenty seven twenty eight. You are the Christ's body, and individual members of it. And God has appointed in, church, in in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations in various tongues, and then Ephesians four eleven and twelve. He gave some to be apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, and, and for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body. He always wanted us to be involved in the changing and the transformation of this world. It says in Acts ten thirty nine to 42, we are witnesses of all these things. He did both in the land of the Jews and Jerusalem. And they also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. That is to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He, and he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this one, this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. It's very clear that God has called all of us to be a part of his mission. That it is clear that every single one of you are called to be a part. Every single one of you, it says that everybody's called, everybody's called but few are chosen, meaning that you, there's a place in us to respond. God wants us to be a part of his redemption plan, but never assume the position. It is, it is important to, to never assume or to be human appointed, that God has called all of us to be saved, all of us to, to, to be a part, to be sons and daughters of God, and we have to respond to that message, but also to be a part of his, of his church, to, to receive those gifts, we're not to appoint ourselves. We're not to go around saying, hey, I'm the pastor, I'm, I'm a teacher, I'm a this, I'm a that. It, it is God-appointed, and the disciples actually knew that. It says in Romans ten, fourteen 14, 15, it says, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How, maybe speaking of an evangelist, how will they believe in him who they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? It's the key word. Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of good things. God actually sends us. He appoints us and he sends us. There's a backing from him. And when there's a backing from him, it'll last. You never have to be curious. You never have to uh, cast doubt on that calling. And maybe that for you right now, it's just like, hey, I don't know what that calling really is. I don't, I, and I'm not talking vocational ministry. I don't know what that calling is. Maybe for some of you, and, you know, many college students who just have you know, gotten born again just recently or just young in the faith, don't worry about that that God has called you to be a disciple maker. First, a disciple of him. And then remember two, be a disciple maker. And don't worry about the other things. Make disciples, preach the word of God on the streets. You have that. He said, go and make disciples. You already have that calling from Jesus to do that. And that's why I, we actually have authority to meet. In fact, the, the, fir, the, the amendments, in our country, in our constitution, that meeting, where, where the government is not allowing us to meet, don't get that wrong. God has called us to meet. In other words, the, the, our, our, uh, our boss, the one who gives us permission is not the government, but Jesus. That is truth. And why is that important? Because he actually literally gave us God-given authority to preach the word of God so anytime your, your, your boss or your parents or anybody else around you that don't want to hear the gospel and they're like, well, who give in youth? Or, I mean, like, what do you, why, how could you say that? Jesus, he's my boss. When we give our lives to Jesus, can I say, that he's not just savior, he's also Lord and King. He is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. That's who he is. He can't be anything else. We can't just see him as savior who wipes away all of our sins. We have to see him as Lord. And guess who's offended? The enemy. Why? Because he wants to be Lord. And guess who else is offended? The government. Why do I know that? Because he, the devil, is the prince in the power of the air, the Bible says. In the world, systems, and when you say, and a long time ago, if you were in Roman times and you said Jesus is Lord, curios, the word Jesus is Lord, and you are literally saying in the same sentence without even saying it, Caesar is not Lord. And that would be worthy of death. But today is no different, although you might not be and you might not be tried and put to death, but it is still offensive. It is still, it is still a going against a system that wants total, utter control. Don't forget that. All right, so why is that important that you know that you have authority? You don't, it says here that in Jeremiah 23, 21, and 32, it says, I did not send these prophets, but they ran. I did not send them, I did not speak to them, but they prophesied. In other words, never just assume you are the guy. You know what happened to false prophets in the Bible? They died. It's simple. I mean, they don't necessarily die right now. God's been very gracious, but they lead people astray. But where am I going with that? You, or, it, is, it, is, it is offensive to God and the people around you. Just assume that you have some sort of position. That God calls his people. And, and understand that he called, it's not just the, the, the things in the, the, you know, Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 12, those are important. God actually is giving you gifts, wait for them. Ask, God, what are you calling me to do? I know I'm a disciple maker, but what do you call? We're gonna talk about the gifts of the spirit. We're gonna talk about all the different gifts that the Holy Spirit distributes to his church. And we're gonna do, we're gonna, that's why the book of Acts is so important, because the book of Acts, out of those books, out of that one book, long book of 28 chapters, comes all the, the epistles, in, you know, including Corinthians or Galatians in your Bible, Ephesians, all those books that you read, they all came from, they have a historical context in the book of Acts. So Ephesians, you're like, wow, the book of Ephesians, this is such a good book. Where can I find its context? Acts 18 and 19. Where could I find the the you know, when Paul went to Greece and Thessalonica and, you know, in and Athens and, and all those places, Acts 17, Philippi, Acts 16, you, there's a historical context. If you're wondering, wow, this is really interesting. How did Paul get there? What happened there? A lot of times he was getting beat up and then he was, you know, you don't get the context and it actually, it highlights and makes it even more interesting. And so we're going to go through all those and, and because the point of this whole series, I don't know how long it's going to take, but... The point of it is we get the vision of the church again. What is Jesus's vision for his church? That's why we're doing it. All right, Acts 1, here we go. Acts 1, verse 12 says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey, which just means 0.6 miles. It's just literally the upper room in Jerusalem uh, the Jerusalem gate, the city gates where they were supposed to go and wait for the Holy Spirit for 10 days was just on the Eastern side of that. It was just outside the gate and exactly to the T, probably uh, most likely 0. 0.6 miles, a Sabbath day's journey. And why do they have a Sabbath day's journey? All that really meant was uh, during the time, they could not walk more than 0. 0.6 miles uh, during the Sabbath day. They needed to rest. They could not walk more than that. I think all of us, maybe if some of us drove farther than that today to come to church. Of course, we don't have those rules anymore and you're not in sin for coming to the church being 15, 20 minutes away. It's totally okay. But during those times, that was a, that was a big deal. So they knew that they probably had a Sabbath day in between there. So they picked a spot that they could receive the Holy Spirit, be under the, the law, and and fulfill that. And so when they entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, Simon and Judas, who are they missing? The other Judas. And we'll get to that in a second why that's important, but they what would they actually so the question I want you guys to have in your mind right now is Okay, so last week we talked about what did it take to complete the mission of God. This week is, what were these disciples like? How did they make the most of their, uh, the opportunity that they had for 10 days? If we were all cooped up for 10 days, what would we do? I would imagine a lot of things, right? Maybe perhaps it's just chilling on your phone, scrolling, waiting for the Holy Spirit. They were scared out of their mind. Why? Why? They could have died for what they believed in. They were preaching. If you know, I want you to underline. It'd be a great exercise for you. I did this in my Bible. Every time you see somebody preaching the resurrection of Jesus, underline it. That was their message. That's why they died. It wasn't believing in God. It wasn't believing in a, in a Jesus even that did great works. It was believing in one who came on a donkey through Jerusalem and said, "I'm a suffering servant." And I'm coming back as a king. I am a king. But he emptied himself for a time being to come to be a lamb. And he's coming back as a lion. And so what happened was he came as a suffering servant. Isaiah 53, read that again. He came as a suffering servant to die for you and me as a sacrifice. But how would he prove that incredible message? Can you imagine this? That Jesus did all these amazing things and he died and you could still find his tomb and still find him wrapped, what kind of a faith would that be? You and me, we were wasting our time. We're, we're suffering for no good reason. But he resurrected. He actually ascended then. Not only did he resurrect, but he actually floated in the sky and he's coming back that same way. Why is that important? Because that's incredibly offensive. Why is that offensive? Because all other religions Every other religion on the planet, their hero is dead, completely dead. It's, they're in the grave. That means why, here, let me tell you this. This is why it's offensive, because Jesus said he's the only way, and to prove that he's the only way is he's the only one that came back. That's what. That's it. That is why it's incredibly offensive, because if you grew up Muslim, or you grew up Buddhist, or you grew up Jehovah's Witness, or you grew up some other Christian cult or other religion— and your parents are like, hey, this is great. This is how you grew up. And you're like, well, I just found out that Jesus is the only way. That's offensive because you just broke family ties. And that is offensive to your workplace because no longer you're in their cult or you're in their way of way that, that they want you to be conformed. Do not be conformed by the image of this world but or the gods of this world, but by conformed by the image of Christ. How do you do that with the word of God? It That is what... That is what we've all signed up for. But we need to know that again so that we have the confidence and the motivation to preach the word, to see salvation, to change the world in the nations. All right. All right, so number one. This is number one, okay? Disciples were committed to family. They met. They weren't isolated. They didn't take Zoom as an option. They, they actually met physically, person to person. I would imagine that they probably would have thought some people, if they had Zoom options, they would all go under the ground and had their little Zoom and said, is the Holy Spirit back? Is he on your side? Is he, is he over there on the other side of the gate? And no, they were all together because Jesus said, come together. He knew the cost. Jesus knew the cost. Do you think he didn't know the cost? He's a shepherd, He does lead us in the valley of shadow and death. I don't know what Jesus you signed up for, but that's the Jesus is who he is. He is the good shepherd and he leads us in troubling waters. He led the disciples on in the water when they were in the storm. He was actually chilling on the mountain and watched them struggling. It says that he watched them struggling with like the oars and freaking out. And he's like, Maybe I should go get him. (laughs) What was he showing? He cares for us. He's not gonna just leave us there, but he's not always just gonna lead us in a nice, easy path. That's not Christianity. I don't know what you signed up for or what the church has signed up for at large. So they are called to meet physically together. And I would imagine if Peter rose up from his grave today, He would be like, what in the world is going on? We have to have fortitude. We need courage today. We need biblical courage. We need to hear him and and obey what he's calling us to do. And he, you, he is pleased when you come together to meet with each other, not in fear and saying, all right, Jesus, we're waiting for you. We want to hear your word. We want to encourage one another. And so they were unified. It says, these all with one mind were continually devoted themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. They were gathering of about, there was a gathering of about 120 who are these people? Who were the people that were, that were in this room? Well, one, we understand that there was, there was women there. There was, there was, most likely, there was Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, Mary, uh, the wife of Clopas, and Mary and Martha. They were all there, the people, the followers. Remember, they were the ones supporting. They were the ones giving money to Jesus for his ministry. They were there. Mary Magdalene is the one that had seven demons. She's like, my life got rocked. I'm with him, Right? And that's, that's the point again, right? I mean, there's so many applications here that if your life got rocked, be with this church, be with the other people who their lives got rocked by the Lord. That is the, the church is the called out ones. They're, they're separated from the world. They don't think like the world. They're totally, they're odd. We're weird. That's a wonderful calling. We're aliens, it actually says, of the world. It's a wonderful thing. If you're so close to the world, I'm not sure if you're saved. If you're so close, if you, if you wanna be just like them to reach them, that's not what Paul was saying to become like all men that you might reach them. That's another meaning. That's not what that means. We are different. We are set apart. Sanctify means set apart. It means we are totally different than the world. It should make us uncomfortable and them uncomfortable in the workplace. If you're uncomfortable, okay, that's normal. But if you're totally comfortable and you're like chilling with them, chilling with them, and like, that's not what Jesus meant when, he's, he, met with this, when he met with sinners. The Pharisees were all bent out of shape. They're like, you need to be, t-. he met with them in order to save them. But I'll tell you what, he didn't just cuss, drink, hang out and just like be just like them. Because he'd be like, well, I don't... What do you have that's different? There's nothing different about you. Why would I want to be like you? He was different, and that perturbed the Pharisees big time to the point that they wanted to kill him. Number two is that who were the, who were the half-brothers of Jesus? It's very interesting that they were not saved at the time. It says in John 7, 5, it says, not even his brothers were believing in him. Why are they there? The resurrection is powerful. I would imagine they probably didn't believe until after the resurrection. And these two people, the, the half-brothers, of course, you know, Jesus did not, uh, it's technical, but <laughs> did not receive a sperm from jo- uh, Joseph. It was from the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Talk about sperm in church, it's kind of a weird thing. But, but anyways, the, but understand that he was born uh, miraculously by the Holy Spirit through the mother of Jesus. Now, the mother of Jesus is no... Uh, like, you know, whether it's Catholics or some people just like, well, mother of Jesus. She, she's just an ordinary woman of God who said yes and birthed Jesus. But he had brothers. And that was from literally from Joseph and Mary. And those two brothers, two of them being James, who was the, not the, the disciple James, but James who wrote James, the half brother of Jesus. And he was a staunch Jew. If you actually read James, you're like, wow, he's pretty... <laughs> He's given it to me, right? He's law, <laughs> but he understood grace, obviously. But he, he was such an inherent to the law. He was, and you find him in Acts 15 at the Jerusalem council. He was one of the main elders who was kind of oversight over this whole amazing movement that was happening. And the second one was Jude. is Judas, but another name for Jude. And he also wrote a small, tiny little letter, one chapter, but very important. A lot of it talking about standing for truth, not allowing false teaching to come into the church, all that. He was, he was a pillar, but yet he was unsaved during the ministry of Jesus. And so, all right, they were one mind committed to each other. So John 17, 22 and 23, it says here uh, that the glory of which, the glory which you have given me, I've also given to them. This is when he's praying right before he died, that they may be one, just as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. This unity that was forming would be the power to show that they are really of Jesus. And he was praying for this moment. Jesus is saying, hey, when you're all stuck in this 10, 10 days in this room, waiting for the Holy Spirit, I'm gonna unify you. I'm going to bring you together. And so Ephesians 2, 11, I want to read this. It's a powerful passage on unity. And it says, Ephesians 2, so I read Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, and so we're just going to pick up in 11. Therefore, or last week and then this week we'll pick up in 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision, by which so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember... That you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in this world. That's what it was like to be not a part of the church. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off, having been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ, for he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of the commandments contained in the ordinance, so that in himself he might make the two into one man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both to one body, to God through the cross. And then he, he begins to talk about the fact that through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, there's going to be, I, Jesus had in mind, I'm not just saving Jewish people, I'm saving Gentiles, which is you and me. How many are glad that it was a part of his plan to save you and me? Yes. So he always had that in mind, but he was already starting. He was praying for this type of unity because as you see later in the book of Acts, they had that problem, right? Acts 15, if you read that, there was a major discrepancy. Acts 10, there's a major discrepancy because as they were like, yeah, go to the nations, but they didn't put two and two together. Like, yes, Jerusalem, I'm tracking with you. Judea, I'm tracking with you. Samaria, kind of tracking with you. Ends of the earth, I don't know because they were brought up, they understood that it was a Jewish faith. And by AD 70, the destruction of of Jerusalem, literally the whole entire religion of Judaism died at that point, which was the total fulfillment that God was actually bringing these people together under one Christian faith. And that is important because the fact is, we are all unified You have to understand something. The world actually has other definitions for love and for unity. It's compromising. Why would we take a world definition if we understand the world is controlled by the devil? We need to take our cues of unity and love from the Bible. This is how it defines one man. What does that mean? It means there is no black church. That means there's no Asian church. That means there's no uh, whatever other race there is a Spanish church. There's no other, there, there is one church. That's what Jesus is after. That was his prayer in John 17, fulfilled in this chapter and continually fulfilled in in the, Ephesians, in the Ephesian people. If when we look at the context of Ephesians later on, you'd be floored, floored at like the, just all sorts of pagan religion and people from all different uh, places around the world in that place. If he raised up a church in that place. God is raising up a church in Orlando. We always ask God for a multicultural, diverse. W- w- we wouldn't mind it any other way. Why would we have it any other way? God loves diversity. And we've always said this from the beginning. People ask like, how are you guys so diverse? I don't understand. That's a, it's amazing. Because when you lift up Jesus, the room gets colorful. He draws all men and women to himself when you lift him up. So when you put him at the center of your life and of church, the room will get colorful. What an amazing thing. There's no tolerance for racism in the church. Why? Because there's one race now. We're not denying the fact that you might look different you come from a spec, or you came from South America, whatever. We're not denying that fact. Of course, we're not ignorant of that. We're also not ignorant of the fact that God wants to bring us all together as one. We are one. And that's who we are. Despite what the world says. All right. Also, number 2 is the disciples were committed to prayer. They were also committed to prayer. They were continually devoted it says to prayer. That's why we pray. Every time we gather and meet, we gather and we want to pray. These people were separated from Jesus. Think about this. They were with him for three and a half years. They were talking to him literally face to face. And now he he ascended into heaven. He was gone. And there's the only way to actually now communicate with this Jesus is through prayer. That's the only way to actually communicate with him is through prayer. I would just say another thing if you don't do this, but pray through the scriptures If you need, sometimes people are like, I don't even know what to pray. Prayer's hard. I don't know how to pray. I actually don't know what to say. I'm sitting there, I'm like, the Bible will give you language and how to pray. It'll give you language to what to pray for. So when you're reading Ephesians 2, you're like, wow, that is heavy stuff. That's amazing. One, man, I mean, like, God, help our country, help our society to understand this. Simple prayer. You don't have to, you don't have to time and look, I'm just gonna do five minutes of prayer right now and I just gotta think of all these things, but pray biblically because he, they understood, it says in John 14, whatever you ask in my name, that, that will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. What is he saying? Not anything according to your name, not anything according to your will, but everything according to his will. Does he want the world to be unified? No. Does he want the Christians to be unified, the church? Yes. That's the difference. If you just say, like, oh God, let's just be unified. Let's just be, we, what does light have with darkness? What does saved have with unsaved? Nothing. Don't be foolish, church. Don't be bewitched. This says in Galatians 3. We cannot unify with the world, period. It'll never happen. Regenerate, meaning he made us alive, and the unregenerate, meaning dead. That is why it's so hard to talk to people who are not saved. That's why it's so hard to talk to people who are religious, actually. They're the hardest. Why? Because they know all this stuff, but they're dead. That's why it's so hard to talk to people that are like, yeah, I know this stuff. Yeah, I they're the hardest. They are the hardest people to talk to on the planet. Read, John, read Luke 15 to just the story of the prodigal son again. They were so mad. They were so frustrated at his talk about how shameful the son was and how shameful the father was and how shameful him coming and reaching into these people who are so far from God, these Gentile people, these people who were gone and lost, he reached down and he saved them. That is, that is offensive of people who are religious so the worst the the worst kind are people who know all this stuff but yet they're not submitted to God because they're dead and we can't unify with those types of people we can't and that's not let me say this very clearly that's not unloving so don't don't, don't email me and come to me and say oh that's so unloving it's not it's it's not Okay, now that that's straight. Because this is my authority, not your worldly philosophy. This is my authority. And this is what it says. Only people can be unified, even in utter terror, is believers who actually want Jesus. And it's always the few, it's not just the 12 or the, the 11. You know, imagine how heartbroken they were. This man committed suicide. Did it work? How could Jesus have a pull on us and not him? I mean, the questions, but they said, I'm going to trust God. We're going to be together. There's 120 people. That's it. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that? that? I would be, and I do. Sometimes I'm like, I don't understand this, God. Why is it always the few? It's always the few, isn't it? It's always the few. Why is it so hard to evangelize? Why is it hard to actually talk to people about Jesus? And you talk to them, and and you have a conversation with them, and everything's going well until you mention repentance. Whoa, hey, whoa! I don't know about that. I'm out of here. So I'm I'm okay. I'm I'm fine. I'm really I'm fine. I'm fine. Why? Why? Why is that? It's hard. It's the narrow road. Few find it. That's the gospel. Few, few find it. So we talk about like mass revivals that are happening. That's a joke. It's not real. I mean, like thousands are coming. I don't know. Few. This gospel that the, the church will grow one soul at a time. And we walk with them. We love them. We disciple them. Can God save the masses? Yes. I mean, three thousand got saved in the Book of Acts, but. But that can happen, but they were ready. God, it was God's work, not our manipulation. It's not our twisting and trying so hard to try to get them to like, really, if we're honest, like me. We want them to like me. Uh, get out of the way and say, this is who saves. This is who you need. You're like, well, man, I'm, I'm batting like 100 here out of 10. Well, be faithful. He saves. He's the righteous one. He saves. We're pointing people to him. Don't get caught up into being liked and putting on some sort of show to get people to like Jesus more. I love Jesus just by this book. It's amazing. He showed up into my life. I mean, he, what he says is true. It's real. It's powerful. Many convincing truths. He showed himself to the people at the resurrection we don't need any more evidence. Let's just preach Jesus. Let's just point to him and he will save people. He promises that he will do that. All right. So this is going on for, uh, for 10 days. And then the, the third thing is they're committed to family, committed to prayer and committed to the word of God. How do I know that at the time Peter stood up in the midst of his brethren? This is the first time he actually said something worthwhile, and <laughs> he didn't put his foot in his mouth. He had been transformed. He says this Brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was counted among us and received his share in this ministry. Think about that. He had a share. In his ministry, what happened? Now, this man acquired a field with the price of his, of, of his wickedness and f- falling headlong. He burst open in the middle and all his intestines gushed out. That's graphic. And it became known to all who were living in Jerusalem so that their, their own language, though in their own language, that field was called Hekeldama, which means the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, "Let his homestead be made desolate, and let no man let no one dwell in it, and let another man take his office," which they did. Therefore, it is necessary that one man, or that I'm sorry, necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. Beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they put forward two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, who is also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, you know the hearts of all men. Show us, or show which one of these, you have chosen to occupy this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. It was his own choosing. Can I just say that people choose to go to hell? Judas chose it. It wasn't some like it wasn't the plan of God, which we'll see. It was in the God knew that He knows everything, but He still there that human part, that human will part of us. He decided to go his own way, and so they understood that, and they drew lots for them, casted lots. And the lot fell to Matthias and he was added to the 11 apostles. Now, casting lots was something that they actually could do in the Old Testament. In Proverbs sixteen thirty three, the, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every, every decision is from the Lord. That was the last New Testament passage speaking of casting lots. What do we have today? People ask all the time, how do we discern the, Lord, the Lord's will? It's simple. Read the word, pray for wisdom, get godly counsel. Those are, the, those are the three most simple ways to understand what the will of the Lord is. And can I just say also maybe just the fourth one, you gotta be willing to obey. If, you don't, or if you're not willing to obey, all those three just pff, go out the window. Okay, so backing up, how did Jesus's betrayal and death fit into the God, God's plan? It did. And I wanna show you that, that I, I just, this is, this is fun for me, this part. I just love seeing all the scriptures that point to that God was not, not surprised and therefore his people were not surprised what happened. Is they're all gathered, they're not wondering, oh no, does this work? Oh no, what happened to Judas? What's happening? He died. What is gonna happen? They understood that this happened. They trusted the word of God and then they took the word of God and said, we need one more person. So Peter was right in that it says in Matthew nineteen twenty eight it says, truly I say to you that you Who have followed me in this regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. They understood that 12 was a very significant number to the Lord, and that now they were down to 11. They understood that in order to complete this, in this time, in that specific time in history, they needed one more. And according to the scriptures, isn't that amazing? They understood the word of God. They weren't just like, okay, let's just kind of just intuitively figure out, okay, what do we need? Maybe we need 15. You know, Jesus might've been wrong. Maybe we need 25. Then we'll really change the world. They just simply said, what does the word of God say? So Acts one twenty, he says, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David. How long did David, a thousand years before? He was predicting, literally Judas would betray him. It says that scripture was written when men when moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God, 2 Peter 121. That was Peter. He wrote that later. He understood the power of scripture. He understood that it has such an importance and a power in our lives. All right, God's word is true. Psalm 115 verse three, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Isn't that good? Isaiah 46 10, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. It says Isaiah fifty-five eleven. God's word never returns empty, but always accomplishes his purpose. Joshua twenty-three fourteen. you shall know, and you will know in your, all your hearts and in all your souls that not one word of all the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. All have been fulfilled for you. Not one of them has failed. Not one of God's promises has ever failed and ever will fail. Guys, this is important. We've got to know the word. I mean, it is from, from 20 years ago when I'm sitting in my dorm and I got saved, I picked up that Bible. No one told me to read it. I just picked it up and I just started devouring the word of God. When I read through the New Testament probably about three times in three months. I, just, I, I highlighted every single page in, in yellow and green and red. There was nothing left. I, was, I, I, I had to get into it because I couldn't read anymore. <laughs> it was so written up. I was like, why didn't anyone tell me this? This is so powerful, this word. is so powerful. And people ask me, you know, how did you get through it? How did you get through the hard times? The word. How do you get through such a hard time like this, the last five months? The word. Why are there churches not meeting and we're meeting? The word. The word is so powerful, it is our authority. It is an errand. it is perfect, it is good. It, it, it is, we can actually trust every word on every page. Despite Judas' betrayal and death, God's word was actually being fulfilled in the Old Testament. He says in Psalm 41, nine, it says, even my close friend, this is David speaking, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Isn't that amazing? Jesus knew this whole time. He knew even picking Judas, he wanted to give him a chance. You know, Judas had just as much opportunity as any one of us. He had just as much opportunity as any person and any one of those 11, the other 11. But Jesus understood this. He said in John 6, 64, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the very beginning who they were and who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. In verse 70 and 71, did I not myself choose you, the 12 and yet one of you is of the devil. Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. John 17, 12, when he was, during the priestly prayer, during that, that I just read earlier, when I was with him, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, you and me. He guards, guards us, literally, what he, no one can snatch us from his hand. You, never, you are totally secure if you are a believer in Jesus, not one of them perish, but one, the son of perdition, so that the scripture might be fulfilled. He's talking about Jesus. Matthew 26, 24, the son of man is to go, is to go. So he, people were always trying to not, always trying to keep Jesus from going to the cross. They're like, no, no, there's gotta be some other way. You're going to redeem Israel. But the son of man is to go just as it is written of him. But woe to that man, by whom the son of man is betrayed, it would have been good for that man if he had never been born. That's heavy. But it's the reality that through these scriptures, we can literally trust that Jesus above all people and his people were never surprised. But they took that confidently and said, all right, Lord, who should complete the twelve? Let's go change the world. And that's what he did. And it says, well, I mean, you, we saw basically what Judas' Judas's problem was. He had a love for money. You know, a lot of us, got, we, we think if we never put ourselves into the life of Judas, have you ever done that when you read scripture? Or you're just like, nah, I'm not like Judas. Put yourself there just for a second. And maybe you're like, I would never betray Jesus. We have, we actually have many times. Many times we chicken out and we didn't preach Jesus. Many times our heart is beating. Just say it, just say it, just say it. And we don't. Many times we have betrayed Jesus. And what the word says is in John 12, he says, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to poor people? This is Judas speaking. After this woman broke her bank at the feet of Jesus. We know that story. We love that story. Now he said this not because he was concerned for the poor. He had no desire for the poor. He had no heart for that for he was a thief. As he had the money box, he used to pilfer through it. He would take a little bit for himself. Do you know why he probably did that? Because at one point, you see, everybody's fine with the feeding of the 5,000. Everybody's fine with him healing the sick and, healing Peter's mother and healing our mother-in-law healing. I mean, everyone's fine with the, 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 the benefits of Jesus of walking around. Who wouldn't, who would not want that? Who would not want to be with someone who heals and casts out evil spirits and, and, and you know, creates bread out of nothing. It, it's just, I mean, that, we would love to be around people like that. It's incredible. There are amazing benefits of the Christian faith, incredible promises that are yes and amen. But I want to propose to you that the reason why Judas probably started saying, oh, what's the use? I'm also getting my money's worth. is because he would talk about, oh, I have to suffer and die. Oh, he's not the one who's going to redeem us from the burden of Rome. How many times has that happened to you and me? How many times in your walk were you're like disappointed that Jesus didn't show up for you and you're like, you know what? The heck with this. Let me just go back to my old ways. Maybe he had a lust for money for years. He just never dealt with it. He never went to Jesus with it. You know, Peter did deny. He did the same thing. Peter did the same thing. One went to a one went to the cross, another one went to a noose. And that's the difference. That is actually the difference between Peter and Judas. They both sinned. They both fell short. Just one actually found forgiveness and one found condemnation. That is the difference. And that is what the gospel ultimately is. We find forgiveness at that cross because we've all have fallen short. All of us have actually rejected Jesus. Even as a believer, we all have. And there's a remedy for that. And by the way, there's no contradiction in the scriptures. It says in Matthew that he hung himself. He put his, Judas realized that if we look at Matthew 27, 3 to 10, which I won't read, but where they find this is that Judas was, he was guilty, he knew it. He's like, "What did I do? I'm going back to these people, the religious people." And he's like, "I don't want this money." And they're like, "I don't want this money either." What did they do? They bought his gravesite with it. That's crazy. They bought his grave. That's why it's the field of blood because what would happen? At the same location, he wrapped a noose around his head. And and I would imagine that what happened was in Luke, he describes this as as, uh, that his intestines gushed out. What happened was it was leaning over a a hillside with rocks at the bottom and the noose broke, either the noose broke or the stick or the the branch broke from it and he fell and his whole body gushed out. It was the field of blood, the betrayal money. It was blood money. He never found forgiveness. I was reading... Earlier that literally some people have painted a picture of Judas hanging there and the demons are literally just trying to grab him. He knew exactly what he was doing. There's no, God's sovereignty did not put Judas into that place of betrayal. All of us choose right and wrong. All of us choose whether to follow God for the rest of our lives. All of us choose whether to reject God, but I'm telling you today, there is a remedy at the cross. We don't have to crucify ourselves or hang ourselves on the, on the noose of condemnation, but we could come to the cross and find forgiveness. And we always find it, always, every single day of our lives. And there was no condemnation, it says in Romans 8. And Paul understood that no kind condom- of, therefore there's no, he said in Romans seven, he's struggling. He's like, I do the things that I'm not supposed to do and I, and not do the things that I'm supposed to do. He was like, who's gonna deliver me from this body? Who's gonna save me from this? He's like, Jesus will. Therefore there's no condemnation for those who believe. If we trust and put our faith in him, it's enough. And then the requirements, that's what they did as we close here. Just the, again, clarity that these disciples, they were just, this is what we want to do as a church. This is how this church was birthed eight, nine years ago. We just said, Jesus, what do you want? How do you want to do leadership here? How do you want, to, uh, uh, how do you want to, us to plant your church? It's your church. It's who you, I want to do what you say. And that's what these disciples did. They just said, okay, we got ref- to actually do this, but what are the requirements? You actually, they, they said, okay, well, we got to replace this guy, the, the Old Testament prophecies in Psalm 69 and Psalm 109 says that he would be replaced. He would betray it and he would be replaced. And so there's three requirements for an apostle. And all apostle means is apostolos. It just means a sent one. It means a missionary. And what, what happened was they understood that there's three things that qualify you as an apostle. Number one, that you have to witness the entire ministry of Jesus. Number two, you have to be a witness of the resurrection. And number three, you have to be chosen by the Lord himself. Now, Paul got two out of the three, not too bad. He was a apostle extraordinaire. He was very, he was apostle to the Gentiles and they understood, but he had a, how many would say he had a pretty radical conversion? (laughs) Um, And everybody confirmed that. But besides that, the apostles had to have all three in order to, start his church and the apostles start the church. Now, what we have, if you want to look at it this way, maybe an easy way to say it, maybe the apostle is a big A during that time, the 12. And then maybe we have like small A's. And all it means is that there are people who are apostolic in nature, who go plant churches overseas or in the States. They have a, ministry, a missionary mindset, a gift to go start something. But whose foundation? The Lord's. It's Jesus's church. And so what I would just say, again, that's not like, but just to be clear that there's no like big A apostle and there's no big P prophet. There's no big E. That's reserved for Jesus. He's the ultimate visionary, the ultimate apostle. He sends us like him into the world to do his work. But I do not have apostolic authority. I'm just like you. I'm just, you and me, we're just the same. We're not calling each other apostle and you're evangelist and you're teacher, you're this. It's important. So we have the right view of Jesus and his church and his leadership. Guys, at the end of the day, I just want a healthy church. Something that will last Something that we can, something for my kids to grow up into that they can sink their teeth in. Some, something that they're like, "Hey, I know Dad preaches the Word of God. I'm following the Word. I'm following. I, I can, like Paul said, I'm fo- follow me. So I, so because I follow Jesus, and that's who we are. We're, as it says in Acts thirteen or twelve, little Christ ones, little anointed ones, small, see, humble, submitted." Well, as I close, I just, I've, again, this is, guys, I I think when we planted the church years ago, one of the things Nicole and I were praying through and talked about, and we knew for sure there are churches all over the world. There's churches everywhere. There's churches in in your backyard. Drive home, count how many churches you see. There's churches everywhere. But what I know is the church that can change the world are those who live this stuff out. Who actually really do? Care. It, it, it's interesting. Matthias is says. Matthias, excuse me. Matthias is means gift of God. Can I just say all of us are a gift from God? We're a gift of God to this world. We're a gift of God, a gift of from God to each other. I mean, we're a gift. I mean, how many times someone prays for you, cares for you, loves you, pastors you? You're like, man, we're such. There's this church is incredible. Like, I, I love this church. I love the boldness. I love the the passion for for Jesus and his purpose. I love all that stuff. It's incredible. We are gifts to this world. And I'm telling you, in order to be a gift, what are the characteristics of a believer in Jesus? It's three simple things. Again, this is who God has called all of us to be, a people who are incredibly committed to his church, each other. Number two is that we are committed to prayer. And third, we're a people of his word. And if you do those simple, actually do those simple things without some crazy emotional thing or emotional experience, you don't have to see a visitation from the angel in order to confirm this. It is confirmed right now that those people that are really the true church of Jesus Christ are those who are committed to the church, committed to his mission, committed to prayer and the word of God. And so uh, I just, as I pray for you guys uh, this morning, I don't know if, Dad. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> We're growing, baby by baby, one baby at a time. So I love you. I love this church. It's so good. I just are you guys honestly, are you guys filled? I, was, I woke up at six in the morning this morning and just poured into the scriptures again. I'm just like, his word is true. His word is true. Like, I believe it. And I'm telling you, if you want joy, the only way joy comes is through believing his word. Jesus said it like this, or Jesus said it, that I want your joy to be complete. But then also the apostle John said in his epistle, I write these things for what? so that your joy would be full. I write these things. What does that mean? His word is true. And when it's in our hearts, hide the word in your heart, you don't have to have an anxious day in your life. You don't have to have a, and when you do get anxious, go to the word, go to God, go to God. Just, what is it? What We do that with our kids. Are you, I mean, Ella kind of hurt herself and she's kind of walking like that. I mean, she got hit with her, her friends were, Howling on top of her. what lovely girls' playtime, right? Um, <laughs> where they were, and 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 so she got injured, and you know, just sitting with her and just just saying, "Okay, are you? You know, I she's she's hurting and everything, and and we're you know immediately just popped in my head. It was just saying, ask her if she's worried. Are you worried? Yeah, I'm like, what are you worried about? That I'm gonna be stuck like this? I'm like you're not gonna be stuck like that. It's gonna take some time." we're going to either see a chiropractor or just I'll try to massage the little knot out or whatever that is. And It hurts. I mean, I've been there. I've been with my back just over the, it was over the quarantine. I was like, I mean, I was just like kind of crooked. I'm like, Hey, do you remember dad was crooked? You're crooked. I mean, were the, you know, Jesus makes straight the crooked paths, you know, but so, but it, I, it, we, it, when we are anxious or we do need help and we do need confirmation We go to the word. We go to Jesus. He's the word made flesh. And we trust him. We trust him. We don't have to, I'm telling you, everything we need. Peter says this in 1 Peter. He says, everything you need for life and godliness is found in the word. Don't try to change the culture. The culture is wonderful. I love the culture of Antioch. I love this place. It's wonderful. I love the love in the room. I love the the care for one another. I love the fact that probably about 60, 70% of the people live together in houses and it's so expensive to live here. Don't change that. It's wonderful. Enhance it with the word, right? That's what we're saying. Strengthen it. Go from milk to meat. Some of you who are young in the faith, just keep drinking the milk. It's wonderful. It's going to nourish you. It'll, I mean, you'll be fine. Then it's time to go to Gerber baby food. You know, the little mashed up, mashed uh, green beans is nasty. I hate it. I, I had to hold my nose and hold their nose when I fed it, which is, I don't know how you do that, but uh, it was awful. But then eventually you grow up and you're, you got the meat, Right? and some of us are probably should be at the meat stage but we're still sucking on milk and that's why we're kind of in the place that we're in right now and you need you need some meat and you can get it there's lots of places I mean there's lots of resources there's lots of there's no excuse in other words you can't get to God one day in front of him and say why didn't you grow I mean I had so much more for you I had so much more for your life I just probably know resources where'd you live? America not buying it. <laughs> he won't buy that excuse. There is no excuse. Just take advantage of the resources. Take advantage of the the amazing resources that we have. In fact, we have too many. And that's why it's confusing. I remember getting some magazines at the house. There's so many. We got. I had to use my airline miles for Spirit because you know those are worthless. Um, and the. <laughs> I had, I had so many, I had so many magazines, I had food magazines, I, I had to get them, I just had to use them, because you couldn't use them for flights, I mean, God forbid if they let you use that for a flight, um, but, <laughs> these guys, but, but anyway, so I had to use them, I just got so many magazines, I mean, Nicole's like, what, what, you know, like, you just sit down, you're kind of relaxing, the- I mean, if you have that time, right, very few and far between, you just kind of say, which one should I read, you're kind of overwhelmed, you're like, and then you read none, <laughs> you're like, there's like too many, <laughs> So we're just like, we just got to toss them and just keep one, you know, a few. And that's what it's like. Sometimes you get overwhelmed by all the resources, all the things. You go to YouTube, you're like, wow, well, i got going to listen to this thing. To I mean, just ask the Lord, come up with a Bible plan. Have a Bible plan. I have one always. I'm going through different books and you can ask me later what, what that is or ask your life group leader. But there's many different ways to grow, but have a plan. It is so much easier if there's a plan. I would imagine the disciples had a plan. How did they just all of a sudden know Psalm 68 and someone someone on that? They knew it. They knew the word. It was easy for them. So much that they did the casting laws. They're like, "I I just trust God. I just know he knows the hearts of man. I know he knows... God is big enough to prevent that and take that lot and turn it into a certain way or do whatever it takes to get the other guy in. So we knew this was the right one and his name just happened to be gift of God. And so are you. You're a gift. Amazing gift to the world. Amazing gift to your community. Amazing gift to your class. Amazing gift to each other. And understand that when you go out and know that you're a gift, know where you can find help know where you can get them help, that's, an, that's a gift. You're a resource in the hands of the Lord. Father, we thank you so much for what you're doing in this church. You're incredible. You're sovereign. You're holy. You're righteous. You're good. You're all-knowing. You're all-powerful. And you're in every place at every time, ready to meet our needs in every season. Love the passage from Tyler today, Psalm 23. What an amazing, if, if you don't have a passage to read, just go home and meditate on Psalm 23. What an incredible Psalm. Lord is our shepherd, I shall not want. There's no want when we have you as our shepherd because all of our needs, everything that we need is taken care of. I have contentment, whether I have much or whether I have very little. And so Father, we ask you in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would give us a great hunger for your word, for prayer, for fellowship with each other, and God, empower us for the mission of God. Next week, as we look at Acts 2, as they waited for the power of the Holy Spirit to come, I pray even today, we'd wait on your power. We rely on your power. We'd be filled with the Holy Spirit so we might go out and be a gift, be a gift to this world. In Jesus' name. All right, I just, again, I think it's powerful. It is not an emotional plea. It's not trying to, it's, nothing happens miraculously when you touch the carpet, by the way, just so you know. It's a wonderful carpet. But I, I, nothing happens when you put a knee down to the floor, but it's a, it's a posture. It's like, it's just sometimes I'm in my room and I do get on my knees because I just, it's a posture. It's like, I just am desperate. That's a desperation look. Again, if you're not, it doesn't mean you're not desperate. It just, if you need to come and just for your own sake with the Lord, just, I want to respond to him this morning. I want to I meet God in a powerful way and I want him to speak to me through his word. I want him to empower me. I want, I want, again, understand the importance of church. I've lost the vision for church. Man, I want that vision again. I want that stirring. I want that belief. If you're dealing with unbelief, but first, I just I, I do want to just say, if there's any person here right now Uh, The Bible clearly says that if you deny me on earth, I will deny you in heaven before the company of angels. And I just want to give you an opportunity to say, hey, if if you've never given your life to Jesus and made him both savior and Lord and saying, I want to follow him, he is the only way. I'm not going to go to the noose. This condemnation has got to go. I don't know what to do with it, but I want to go to the cross. I want to go to him. I want to trust him this morning. Would you just, would you just honestly just stand where you are and just come up? We just have a couple of people, I just love to pray for you. And, and it's, it, it, I, I, I just think that is one of the most powerful things What I did when I was 18 years old. I just said yes. I just simply just said yes to him. And, and for 20 years now, this September, 20 years. In October of 20 years, Nicole and I have known each other. I got, to, got saved and, doesn't always work that way, saving girlfriend, but sometimes it does. It's By the grace of God, but but you know I, I I've never lived one day where I didn't say, Lord, I need something from this book. I need you. Maybe it was a short prayer. Maybe it was busy. You know, just something. But I would get in the habit of doing that. If you're a believer, get in the habit of doing that. Is your only authority. Not what you feel, not what you think, but what he says. But if you want to give yourself to the Lord and come to faith and just trust him and say, Jesus, for the first time, I just want to trust you. I want to place my faith and my trust in you that that cross will not move. That noose and that branch, that was weak wood and it fell. But that cross that was up on a hill, you see the difference in the valley, and on the hill. We can trust that cross. It was sturdy. It was perfect. It was able to hold the, the sins of this world. Of course, it's able to hold yours. It's able to hold yours. If you want that, if you're like, man, I just, I feel like I, 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 feel like I know Jesus. I feel like I kind of know him. I've been to church my whole life. I, I know all this stuff. But man, if I'm honest, I don't really know him. I really don't love him. I don't have a desire for the scriptures, but you know what? Today is gonna change. I want to know him that way. I want a hunger for, because as a believer, you have that hunger. It is the word, the very word that became flesh, that saved you, is the very word that we read. And if we don't have a hunger for that, today's the day you get that hunger, because that is a sure sign of salvation, is a hunger and a respect for his word. Never had to twist some believer's arm into reading it. Only an unbeliever because we know that that so I'd love you if you if you want just just even if if it helps even just to just to boldly just come up front and i I, I just want to pray for you i I think this is the do you know that it it, it do you know that one one of the things that i can I just some, get some guys around him some of the leaders just pray i'll pray I'll pray with you, but you can but I, I just want to say in Luke 15, something absolutely amazing. It says, that the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. What Jesus, it says, all of heaven rejoice over one sinner who comes. You know what it's saying? You know, people say like, oh, we just got to go chase people. You know, the 99, we got we to gotta go chase that one. No, 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 no. You know what he was saying? This 99, if you're part of the 99, I would, I'd be careful. If you're part of the 99, I would get saved today. Because the 99, what Jesus was referring to is the self-righteous people. He said, I'm leaving the self-righteous people and I'm running after the one who wants it. And all of heaven rejoiced because one person came. And I'm telling you, every day, heaven's rejoicing. Every single day of the year, somebody around the world is getting saved. And that is the father's joy. It is amazing. I'll never forget that day at 18. I mean, something shifted in my heart. I became, did the rest of my life go easy? No, I can can tell you stories and stories. But what changed was I acknowledged that he is Lord and Savior. I acknowledged my sin, that I was offending God with my speech, my my thoughts, with my actions. And I acknowledged that he had a remedy. It's called the gospel. It is true as it was 2000 years ago as it is today. The power to save. I am not ashamed of the gospel but I am believing because it is the power of God to save both Jew and Gentile. So why don't you just extend your hands in Jesus' name. We thank you, Father, for the power of salvation. We thank you, Jesus, for just your work of the power of the Holy Spirit to come and open up our minds and our hearts to the truth that we have offended you, that we are far from you. But that did not stop your plan in sending Jesus that while we were still sinners, Christ died for our sins. And you made a payment for us. You substituted us. You went to the cross and buried all of our sins on that cross so that we might be free. We might be free and have a relationship with you. We acknowledge, Jesus, that you're the only way, the truth, and the life. Would you be filling, would you fill him with your Holy Spirit right now? Would you fill him anew? And God, give him a great hunger for your word. God, give him a hatred for sin and a love for what is right. In Jesus' name, and be a witness, a faithful witness, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.